Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Have you been researching and learning about regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building for a while, but are still a bit unsure of where to start? Are you new to these topics and feeling overwhelmed about the sheer scope of information and knowledge that's out there to be absorbed? Are you a seasoned professional in the field looking to expand your experience and expertise with other professionals who are pushing the boundaries of regenerative projects? Well, you're in luck. Here at Abundant Edge, we have just what you need to take the next essential steps towards putting the information from these podcasts, interviews, books, and articles into action. We offer courses for beginners, intermediates, and even seasoned professionals to learn from successful regenerative business owners, farmers, builders, and other artisans who are keen to share their knowledge. Our teachers and facilitators have been working and experimenting tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date information available to help you put your skills and efforts to use in regenerating the planet and transforming the global economy into one that abandons the outdated model of consumption and destruction into one of health, stewardship, cooperation, and abundance. Come and get your hands dirty. You can get a full list of courses and trainings as well as volunteer opportunities now at AbundantEdge.com. We're looking forward to seeing you here. Regenerative living can be a very wide and nuanced topic, especially depending on how broadly you interpret that term. So today we'll start on a two-part journey into a tricky and sometimes controversial world of holistic health and what it means to experience regenerative well-being. My guest today, Crystal Honeycutt, is an accomplished naturopathic doctor and registered clinical herbalist who has been in private practice for more than 10 years, specializing in chronic illness, stress, and trauma. Now, I've been a client of hers in the past, and she's helped me immensely in my recovery from chronic digestive problems, and through working with her, I've gotten a completely new perspective on just about every aspect of personal health, and how closely it relates to emotional and environmental health as well. In this first installment of the two-part series, Crystal talks about how her interest in health comes from her own experiences with chronic disease and trauma. We start out by exploring the fundamentals of nutrition and how to navigate the minefield of fad diets, nutritional advice, and more. Crystal helps to guide us through the basic self-reflection and self-diagnosis that it takes to make the best dietary decisions for our bodies too. In the second episode of this series, we'll explore why you may want to look to your herb garden before heading to the pharmacy, the role that supplementation can play in helping us to recover from disease, what regenerative health means, and so much more. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did, and don't miss next week's session for the conclusion as well. Now I'll hand things over to Crystal. 
Hey, Crystal, man, it's been so long since I talked to you. How have you been? Oh, I know, Oliver. It really has been too long. I'm doing so well right now. I can hardly even stand it. it it's Life is so sweet, it almost freaks me out. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. Look, uh, even though it's been a while since we've talked, you've been a huge influence on my progression through health and nutrition over the last year since we first started chatting. And there's a ton of more questions that I would love to ask you for the benefit of our listeners. So what do you say we just jump right on in? Please, let's, yeah, let's talk. Let's do our thing. All right. So for those people who don't know you, could you give us a little intro? Give us um, some of your certifications and your background and how you got working in the healthcare field. Yeah. So I'm a traditional naturopathic doctor and registered clinical herbalist. I've been in private practice for 10 years now. And I specialize in chronic illness, stress, trauma, and I'm always looking to people's quality of life. So that's really my passion. Um, and gosh, I see, I see everything from the common cold to cancer to mystery illnesses to people being super proactive and just wanting to, to be healthy and stable in their lives. And, and that really, really encourages me to continue doing this work because I feel like the health of the human body is one of the, our primary access points to the rest of our lives and you know, discovering who we are, working into our passions, promoting world peace, um, all of those good things, I really believe have to begin with the quality of, of human health. And so I find that healthcare to be enormously enriching for my personal mission, but also, I don't know, in the, the, probably even hundreds now of people that I've worked with, I've seen these same principles uh, apply again and again and again. And I got into holistic medicine through my own healthcare journey. I was a super sick kid in the late 80s and early 90s when healthcare was just really beginning to get a sense of what um, asthma, allergies, and other types of immune, common immune system disorders was really about. And so I went through the conventional healthcare system um, and only really had minimum results with that. I felt pretty sick most of my childhood, which, you know, for better or worse, made me into a total nerd because I fell in love with books because it was literally like, so hard for me to be outside because I was allergic to everything. Uh, and I also had uh, a traumatic background. And so uh, I found out later on in my career, the strong connection between a history of trauma and chronic illness. And then that has really inspired me further in the types of programs and trauma-centric therapies. But it wasn't until I started taking a really good multivitamin in college that my health significantly began to turn around. And uh, I literally left a full scholarship at a university to pursue medicine. Uh, <laughs> much to the chagrin of my parents, I, I fell in love with medicine and I've been obsessed with it ever since, especially holistic medicine. 
Well, that passion and that personal experience really comes through with, uh, you know, the small amount of work that you and I have done over the last year. But I've also uh, heard you talk about the effects that you've gotten working with people from similar backgrounds because you can relate to them on on a lot of those levels. Oh, yeah. Now, before we dive really deep into all the questions, I would love to start with the beginning. And um, I think this is where it all originates and definitely one of the things that you advocate for, and that is nutrition. Right. And fortunately, it seems like nutrition is finally getting the attention that it deserves, especially in alternative lifestyle circles, but also increasingly in the mainstream. And there's all sorts of debates now over things like superfoods, diets, Ayurvedic or Chinese medicine, vegans versus vegetarians, organic versus local food, and and so much more. So rather than creating controversy and having you pick sides, could you simply tell us from your experience, what are the most important factors for someone to consider when weighing all the options in front of them? Because it can be a a kind of a, uh, a nightmare of decisions. It, it really is a total nightmare. <laughs> um, so nutrition really is at the heart of an empowered healthcare practice. I focus on nutrition with my clients in a lot of different ways. We certainly utilize therapeutic strategies with diet, um, but most importantly, I really love to encourage my clients to be educated about their personal relationship with food. And by that, I mean to just put all of the the fad science to the side and really look at what is your specific relationship with food. How does food nourish your body? What kinds of foods feel good in your body? How does your relationship with food reflect your ethics and your values? And how can you engage with food that is, um, you know, I'm going to throw that word out there that you have a love-hate relationship with, but sustainable and also um, nourishing to the body, mind, and soul. So in in my practice, it, there's not one diet or dietary strategy that I promote. What I promote is helping my clients find their own relationship with food. And sometimes that might mean avoiding foods that um, trigger food intolerances or are just, you know, make the body too inflamed. That is a real thing. And certainly when we're looking at the practices of modern agriculture, we're seeing more and more challenges that people are having eating modern foods. So that is a very real piece of of working with your food therapeutically. But at the same time, uh, having a personal relationship with food can make all the difference in regards to your empowerment as a person with your own health care. This is the place that I get excited because um, most of the people I end up working with are really sick and they haven't been able to find the care or support that they need in the conventional healthcare system. So they end up at my doorstep. And um, one of the, the things that happens so commonly within that chronic illness process is this sense of being disempowered. And the foods that you choose to eat on a daily basis is truly one of the most significant 
decisions that you can engage in on a daily basis that positively influences your health. So if I'm looking at a client who's suffering from chronic illness and they're also have this um, foundation of feeling very disempowered, helping them to re-engage with food is one of the best ways that I can help hand them power over their health care. And that supersedes any diet, any dietary strategy, any research that's out there. And nutrition as a science is, is in its infancy. And that's part of the reason why it's so challenging figuring out how to navigate nutrition is because there's still just so much that we don't know. And it's very hard to study nutrition from a scientific standpoint. But if you can begin developing a relationship with food that feels empowering and nourishing to you, then you're ahead of the game. Then a person like me can come in and help you tweak that process. If you really do need some therapeutic suggestions, if you need to look at, um, you know, the ratios of the foods that you're intaking or just in increasing your general knowledge of nutrition and nutritional science in general, that's where I come in. But if I can help you um, develop an intuitive sense of food, then you are well on your way to becoming an empowered person. That is incredible. Now, because of all of these different uh, factors that we talked about earlier, all the different considerations and fad diets and everything like that, Instead of getting lost in the clutter and to find a personal relationship with food like you mentioned, what are some of the questions that we should be asking ourselves and some of the indicating factors that can help us make decisions that are correct for ourselves? Ooh, question. Well, first place to begin is just, I would say literally, whatever you're put in your mouth right now, just stop (laughs) and ask yourself, how am I feeling now? How is my body feeling? How is my mind feeling? How is my heart feeling? And what is it that I really want to to get out of my food? I mean, we think, oh, well, I want nutrition. I want that nutritional value. I want that energy. Um, I want healthy skin. I want beautiful hair. I want to grow into my fullest potential at the physiological level. But you need to ask even more specific questions than that such as, is this Big Mac really feeding me or is it convenient or do I not feel like I deserve to take an hour out of um, my work week to eat a decent meal or what are my resources? Are my resources right now such that I have a really limited food budget and how does that impact my health and well-being? I mean, these are all um, really real considerations for people. Yeah, those are really important questions. It seems like we're getting to the base of a lot of other issues that may be the stem of of issues with food or nutrition. We're going a little deeper now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really it's so complicated. I mean, food food is just second to water, right? And keeping us alive outside of oxygen. <laughs> so, uh We have an enormously complicated relationship with food. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, especially being in botanical medicine, our relationship with food isn't just about how food serves us, but also about how we we can serve our source. 
we start, you know, we can even get into the dynamics of, of um, modern agriculture versus traditional agricultural practices, the quality of our soil, uh, the way that we use herbicides and pe- pesticides and how that negatively impacts our health, especially over the long term. I mean, this is incredibly dynamic and it really is at the, the center of our human experience. It, it, it's not a coincidence that in most traditional medicine s- systems, the digestive tract is considered to be the, the center of the physiological axis or the health axis. So in every traditional medicine system I've ever studied, the relationship that you have with food, and this isn't specific foods, it's the relationship that you have with food in general ends up being the fulcrum that helps you to stay balanced in your health and well-being. Hmm, let me pause there for a second. I want to take that in a little bit before I just jump into another question. That's uh, These are some powerful criteria by which we're in, at this point, we're anal- analyzing our entire life and how it relates to food is kind of one of those steps that's a little further down. And if we're not asking the questions that help us to to get to the root cause of some of our issues, our hangups or uh, aversions to food or, or problems in our diet, then we're not really causing or, or affecting a real solution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's then, then we get caught up in the nitpickiness of, of whether or not, you know, wheat is a food that is nourishing or um, degrading to the body. And, and, you know, we can look at that particular issue from every side. There, there is a, a valid argument for every fraction of that. We can get caught up in nitpicking our nutrition to death, especially if we do not have a holistic scope of vision for what health and wellness really is. So there is a valid argument for every aspect of the, the wheat or gluten, um, okay. Um, and some of that is valid for an individual person and some of it's not valid for another person. However, if we can, um, maintain this large vision of what health and wellness really is, then we might actually put our energy into supporting, uh, healthy soils and, um, promoting heritage breeds of wheat that have uh, normal amounts of gluten in them, and then therefore the gluten issue probably altogether. Uh, th- there's so many different ways that we can approach our relationship with food and nutrition in particular, and I think it really is worthwhile having this large scope and becoming educated and informed to be able to maintain that big picture of what's really happening within our relationship with food. But it all has to begin from an empowered place. It can't happen from the perspective of, I feel like crap and somebody told me to stop eating gluten and I stopped eating gluten and I felt better and now I'm a fanatic that gluten is e-protein, you know, designed to cause all of us gastrointestinal stress. It's, it's really not that way. Um, it's, it's really about balance. In fact, holistic medicine is always about balance. 
Yeah, if I'm understanding you correctly, it seems like the mentality that many people criticize uh, modern sort of industrial approach to medicine, like you would find in a conventional hospital, is much more of an approach where it's reactionary. It's it's responding to some sort of emergency or a symptom and treating it as an isolated event. Whereas holistic medicine is trying to take in as much of the whole picture as possible. And rather than cure things on an individual basis or alleviate symptoms when they arise, we're trying to develop an entire healthy lifestyle here that works as a preventative measure for many of the things that would come up later due to bad habits or disease in the entire lifestyle, not just relating to some minor imbalance here or there. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. From a naturopathic perspective, we're interested in the entire ecology of health and wellness. So just like standard permaculture principles, we're looking at the the optimal balance between the interrelated variables that make up our environment or our life or our you know our hopes and dreams i mean we could lump all of that stuff into the same uh into the same pot and it basically comes down to for you as an individual where is your balance point in your own life uh is it's not paleo necessarily it's not ketogenic necessarily it's not vegetarianism or veganism or all of those things that might be right for a person as an individual but it's not the way to live there is not a single way to live if i've learned anything through holistic medicine that there are no real rules and that because there are no real rules, we get invited to become co-creators with nature in order to to be a dynamic part of the entire ecosystem, which is which is life. Sure, and it seems like all of these things can be true within a time period as well. So the diet that you may be following right now may suit you just fine and agree with your disposition and your internal chemistry, but given another 10 or 20 years with many different factors within your life, with perhaps access to different types of food and nutrition around you, that could completely change for you. And if I, if I understand you correctly, you need to be open and at least self-aware enough to understand when something is serving you or is possibly expired uh, within your personal timeline. Exactly. You, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Oliver. It's really about being in a relationship with yourself so that you can navigate your, your changing needs. Human beings get sick when they become static, when they become stuck in their viewpoint about anything, when they become stuck in their lives people develop illness. And it is incredibly important to, one, recognize that human beings are, are meant to grow. We're meant to grow physiologically, mentally, um, emotionally, and spiritually. And if we're inhibited in any of those facts, um, from then we can have problems um, arise at, you know, multiple different levels. Nutrition is one of those really easy things to see. Um, so many times I've had people come in to see me at the clinic 
and they're leading, quote unquote, really healthy lifestyles. I'm actually going to pick on veganism a little bit here. Um, I don't mind being controversial. <laughs> That's good. Um, I have seen... <laughs> I've seen quite a few people come into my office who have um, led very devoted vegan lifestyles, and they're really heartbroken at the fact that they're quite sick and they're not sure why. Um, and one of the first questions I always ask them, are, you know, are you vegan because of um, ethical considerations or are you vegan because you read a book somewhere that this was the way that you maintain longevity? Um, and depending on whatever their answer is, is how I proceed in helping them reestablish a balance point. But more times than not, um, the vegans that I worked with are sick because they're chronically malnourished. Uh, and that may seem like a contradiction, but if we go back to modern agricultural um, issues, so much of our, our the common vegetables that we eat and plant-based products that we eat are coming from horrifically depleted and chemicalized soils. And then the plants themselves um, are dependent upon chemical-based nutrition to grow, and they're not necessarily even developing the same immune systems that plants normally have or that would have in the wild. They're not, they don't contain a typical amount of um, core vitamins and minerals that they would normally have. I mean, a, a really good example of this is um, cabbage has about 50% less calcium in it than it had even 100 years ago. So in my opinion, it is very difficult to maintain quality of life or, or good quality of health through a vegan diet, not because veganism is wrong, but because the underpinnings, the, the, the core components of plant-based nutrition are chronically deficient. And so... I get to have a great conversation with these clients about how veganism, unfortunately, isn't serving them, even if it's coming from this ethical place. And it's because of modern agricultural practices. And if you want to be uh, an advocate for the health and welfare of animals and nature on this planet, and you want to practice veganism, you really need to become an advocate for um, helping to regenerate our our agricultural practices. Man, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you know I've I would really like to congratulate vegans on their ethical stance. I totally support that. Uh, I, I'm you know I'm uh, I'm supportive of anyone who takes a stand for the environment for the welfare of animals. Uh, I completely agree with all of those things. Um, but m many of the points that you've already mentioned, I really echo in that. I still, you know, the vegan friends that I have are still importing huge amounts of their food from really far away and foods that are grown in a way that does, you know, very similar amounts of ecological damage. The problem is that the entire food system is broken, not just the meat system, right? Oh, absolutely. Like you mentioned, so many other products are deficient in, in nutrition that they used to have. And this is across the board. It's not by any means just the meat industry. And again, you know, 
I, I really do support that ethic and the, the dedication that it takes to, to live that way. But it also, I think, comes from kind of a poor understanding of ecological regeneration and what is really needed to help the food system bounce back from this complete lack of, of priorities, really. Absolutely. Uh, I, can, I can echo all of that that you just said. And, and I think that there is, it's, it's challenging, right? Because we all want to live a life from a, a strong ethical and moral place. I mean, that is what builds our character and it's often what makes our hearts feel full. But at the same time, if you are sick and depleted, you're not able to really be out there. And hmm. um, I think that there are a lot of different uh, the ethical standards that you wish to live from and be healthy. But unfortunately, in our modern era, this means supplementation. Um, unfortunately, supplementation is the way that you you really do have to live in this modern era right now. And I know that it's frustrating, especially when it takes a lot of time, effort and resources to, to especially to eat in a healthy way. Uh, and that, that is tragic, but part uh, one of the conditions within all of this as well is that our nutritional needs of our bodies are different than they were even 150 years ago. And one of the main factors that is responsible for that is stress and our modern lifestyle. So our, our need for B vitamins are, is much higher now than it, than it was. Okay. Just because our nervous system and the way that our bodies are trying to cope with stress, they specifically need B vitamins in order to do that. Um, you need trace minerals and higher amounts now than you probably needed because the demands of the body on those particular minerals, such as magnesium, are higher when you're chronically stressed. So these are considerations that um, the, often the public don't recognize. And this is where someone like me can come in and say, wow, you're doing everything right, but you're sick because you're chronically stressed and your needs are higher than the RDA. And we actually need to look at the individual um, person and not just this kind of hyper generalization of um, nutritional needs for the general population. It's just not working. It's completely not working. <laughs> Yeah, those are some great points. And I know that supplementation is really a hot button issue. And it's one of the things that you really recommended to me when we were doing work together on helping me overcome some of the digestive issues that I had been suffering from chronically for a long time. And, you know, it's not to say that I'm entirely out of the woods or entirely cured, but I've made huge strides. Uh, thanks in large part to some of the supplementary recommendations that you made for me that helped to accelerate the recovery process, which otherwise probably would have taken much longer with simple foods alone. Can you talk about when it's necessary to bring supplementation in and when you should be looking to improve your diet in order to get most of the nutrition that you need? Um, that's, that's a great question and it's a challenging one because once again, we have to look at every person as an individual. Um, however, I will say that I, I have a standards where I say everybody 
might be on a, a whole food based multivitamin, multimineral, and you should be getting some form of omega threes into your diet on a daily basis. Um, I happen to prefer fish oils for those omega threes, but you can also do it through plant based sources as well. Those are kind of the core needs that we all have on a regular basis. And, and if you're eating fast food multiple times a week or you're, you just don't have the opportunity uh, or resources to, or education even, uh, dare I say, to cook healthy meals for you, then you really are chronically depleted. And it is worthwhile investing in some good quality supplementation for that. I would say that if you have any type of chronic pain, digestive issues, chronic sleep issues, um, any strong family history of illness, it would probably be wise for you to have a consultation with a holistic health practitioner or nutritionist and just get a sense of what your individual needs are within that. Uh, lots of times, chronic headaches and fatigue and pain and weight gain and all those things can be easily corrected through just changes in your, your diet and um, nourishing the body. I mean, really in that um, dense, valuable nutrition. And that was a lot of what we did is I, you know, we needed to correct some of the malnutrition that was happening. And then we layered on herbal therapies, which is one of my specialties to help rebalance out the immune system and other fractions in your body that were really uh, fatigued and overburdened due to the infection that you initially had had. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's do the exact opposite right now. We talked about adding extra to help recover from malnutrition, but one of the concepts that I've been getting a lot out of recently is this idea that you can subtract your way to solutions. I think our society really promotes this idea that if there's something not right or out of balance in your life, the solution is to add more. And I've found that not only can this become kind of a way of cluttering different aspects of your life, it can also be a huge chore when it comes to nutrition and diet because I was at a point previously where I was you know, multiple times a day thinking, okay, I have to take this at this time. I need to make sure that I put this in my food. And it became really overwhelming. And I know that in the case of, especially a lot of people who live in contaminated environments, which is basically anyone in the Western world, your food sources are already largely contaminated unless you have some, you know, really reputable supplier. Like, for example, a, a minimalist can declutter their life by getting rid of any unnecessary stuff, or someone can become more productive by eliminating distractions and menial tasks. And it seems very popular now for people to remove certain foods, especially like we mentioned gluten, uh, or even whole categories of foods. I've heard things like nightshades um, for, from their diets in an effort mm -hmm. towards better health and even more ecological sustainable lifestyles. So how would you recommend that somebody try to remove foods and how can they tell what they took out and if it was causing the problem or not? Yeah, great, 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 great question. Um, so I have a two-part answer here. <laughs> um, let, me, let me address the nutritional piece of, of it first. So um, once again, due to the long-term issues within our agricultural practices, 
it is my belief, and it's a commonly held belief within my field of medicine, that many people are developing inflammatory responses to common food due to the alterations within a conventional um, so sometimes it really is worthwhile at a therapeutic standpoint to remove certain foods or certain food groups, like you were saying, nightshade vegetables. Nightshades, um, for some people, can cause immune responses that are pro-inflammatory, and it often can look like arthritic issues. Um, there are other common food groups, such as dairy. Um, tends to cause inflammatory responses in most people. There's only a few, there's only small genetic populations that actually are able to even break down dairy, let alone be able to thrive off of dairy. Okay, so dairy is a is a common food group that I. Uh, recommend that people look at very critically in their life and see how that is supporting them. And the research, the scientific research actually backs that up. And, and my practice is science-based. So all of the things that I end up recommending to my clients are, are um, validated through science. So um, there has been research connecting the intake of milk for children and type 1 diabetes. And that has to do with the way that milk proteins can trigger inflammation in a sensitive immune system and end up causing autoimmunity for certain types of people. So there, there's a difference between eating and being, you know, stable in your health versus eating in a therapeutic fashion. Uh, and I would say more times than not, people would really benefit from simplifying their diets. If mm. you're going to take anything out, let it be those rich sauces and these, you know, fancy flavors that are coming in and, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Really, when it comes down to it, having a small amount of grains, small amounts of um, especially meat-based proteins, moderate amounts of healthy fats, and lots of vegetables is really the center of a healthy diet for just about everybody. That's really the thing, right? We just got done talking about how nuanced everybody's personal diet uh, can be, but there are some broad strokes that can give you kind of a shortcut to making an educated guess to get you started on the right path, right? Oh, absolutely. Um and and this is becoming the message uh, through nutritional fads, which is really good, is that simplicity is best and doing whatever you can to recognize which foods are not working for you at that individual level. So a lot of my clients, I lead them through elimination diets where we take out these kind of big categories of foods for, you know, in, uh, 10 to 20 to six week week um, periods and then slowly reintroduce them and see how the body responds to it. If you have eliminated gluten for a month and then you go back and you have a piece of toast and you get a stuffy nose and then later on you develop a headache and then you feel bloated by the end of the day, we can pretty much blame it on the gluten. And it, and, and a, um, 
a guide will help you to understand why that is, right? So one of the things is, is I say, okay, well, it seems like gluten is causing inflammation in your body. Let's talk about the the physiology of that. Why would gluten be something that's aggravating your system? Is it because you've got a, uh, a permeable membrane in your intestine right now that you shouldn't normally have in your physiology? Is it because you're genetically sensitive to it? Is it because you have a virus that is causing something called molecular mimicry? I mean, there are a lot of different reasons why something like gluten can be um, inflammatory to the body. But it comes down to, do I feel better eating gluten or do I not? And and that's that's the empowering piece, right? It always comes back to self-empowerment for me. If a person knows that they end up getting headaches when they eat gluten, it becomes their choice of whether or not they're going to engage in that. And that choice might mean getting to enjoy birthday cake on your birthday, or it might mean avoiding gluten altogether because you end up having bloody diarrhea. I mean, it can be, you know, that kind of level of extreme. And um, it's, that's why I'm saying like the empowerment piece is so important. Yes, we should be advocating for healthy grains in our diet, but at the same time, um, you're, if you know a food is bothering you, you're no longer ignorant to it. And then it becomes a part of building your integrity with yourself to decide whether or not you're going to choose to eat those foods. Yeah, those are fantastic guidelines and advice for so many things, even apart from just nutrition. Huh? <laughs> just a little self-diagnosis yeah. and awareness often can really help to write you on the path that you're intending to go on. Right. It, it really does. Um, now, the second thought that I had when it comes to what can you take away to make your life better, um, which I love that idea. I've really actually been exploring a lot of minimalism principles myself. And and the first thing. Yeah, I've been applying mind, it a lot to the business. Nice. Yeah. The first thing that um, came to mind even before the nutritional piece of things was the fact that um, stress kills us. Stress is the origin of illness in all of us. And mm. so when we're looking at what can we do, what are the, the handful of things that we can really do that maximizes our health and well-being, it's to take a really hard look at what is causing or contributing to stress in your life and managing that to the best of your ability. And sometimes that means letting go of toxic relationships. Sometimes that means like really investing in therapy. Sometimes that means um, ditching the, the sugar in your life or, or the other types of addictions that you may have. Uh, sometimes it looks like getting rid of your TV and reading books instead. Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, shutting off all your electronics and making sure to go to bed by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. So um, it, I really feel like, Nutrition is something that it's it's a tool, it's a modality. I mean, we all need it, but it's something that we can manipulate a lot to to help us live better quality of life. But when we really look at health, and I like to think of it truly as quality of life, um, because there are some people that live with chronic illness or my clients, but they have a quality of life that is satisfactory to them. Okay, so the concept of quality of life, I think, is a better indicator of health 
than your blood pressure. Um, in fact, quality of life often tends to be the, the primary etiology of your blood pressure being high. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, so if we, right. So if, if you, if you as a person are willing to take a really hard look at what's working for your life and what isn't and being rather ruthless in your, in your practice of eliminating variables and situations and and qualities that are causing you um, harm. Uh, I know it's a strong word, but it, it really, from the perspective of a health practitioner, those things actually cause harm. Uh, you are ahead of the game. Like you could, you could be a total foodie and end up, you know, spending lots of resources, time and energy on um, having these amazing food experiences and they wouldn't necessarily have the same negative impact on your health if your stress level is low, right? Because if your stress level is high, the way that the body compensates uh, with that is by literally redirecting your energy it reprioritizes where your energy goes when you're stressed out i mean it essentially puts you and in like a survival mode doesn't it kind of a flight or fight it, response absolutely yeah it, it's a survival mode but even like deeper than than fight or flight you end up going into this kind of energetic formation and so at the pathophysiological level Cortisol, which is um, it's an important hormone and it certainly has a dual nature, but out of balance, cortisol, one of the things that it does is it downregulates your thyroid function, which basically means it turns your metabolism down. And sometimes it can make your metabolism seem like it's non-existent. Uh, it, cortisol amplifies your resting blood sugar level, which means that people are more prone to developing something called insulin resistance. And this makes you gain weight and it makes you tired and it makes you crave carbohydrates and fats. Um, and it makes you really stuck in a pattern that's headed towards diabetes if you don't interrupt that, um, especially in the modern era. It influences your circadian rhythm. And so one of the most common issues within having a chronic stress response is you're not sleeping well. Uh, your quality of sleep is poor. You might be waking up throughout the night. It might be hard for you to go to sleep. But I tell my clients, think about it this way. If your body and mind are perceiving that you are chronically unsafe, because at that kind of basic animal level, that's what's happening. Right when we're stressed out. So if you're perceiving that you're chronically not safe, it doesn't make sense to go into a deep sleep, right? Because you're vulnerable when you sleep. Yeah. So that's what the chronic stress response does. It it reprioritizes your energy and it reprioritizes certain physiological functions over others. And literally it keeps you in something called sympathetic dominance of the nervous system, which is the fight or flight. And we cannot rest, we cannot digest, and we cannot repair if we're stuck in the sympathetic dominance response. So 
I love the question of what can we take away in order to amplify our quality of life. And I would say that um, looking at those stressors and really figuring out how to manage those stressors, whether it's through soul searching, whether it's telling your boss to shove off, whether it's letting go of toxic relationships, whether it's just taking that vacation all by yourself where you do nothing but read a book and paint your toenails. That's what you need to do. That's what I would prioritize for myself through maybe using supplementation or herbal therapies or superfoods to help augment your health or to help literally you recover state. In holistic medicine, we call that being depleted. And it can be depleted on a lot of different levels of the being, but ultimately you are from being in that state. And so sometimes supplementation is not necessarily addressing malnutrition as it is helping to restore the normal function of your endocrine system, your immune system, your circadian rhythm, um, and your digestive processes, all of that, because they get significantly impaired through the chronic stress response. All right, I hate to cut this short, but there's more than 40 minutes left in this interview, and I thought it'd be better to split this into a two-part series. Part two will be released next Friday when Crystal will talk in depth about herbal medicine, what regenerative health really means, and how you can go beyond the standard to reach superhuman vitality. So we'll see you again in one week. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.